Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Martin Drux is a multinational executive who manages cross-cultural teams for a global U.S. headquartered consulting firm. When the world shut down, Martin's world opened up, and that's when he found diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. It became his new passion, and Martin is now committed to owning and driving the agenda from within the business he is in charge of. In 2023, Martin became a finalist for the AXCO Global Insurance Award in the diversity and inclusion category. We're happy he stayed up late to join us. Welcome to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. Martin Drooks. I screwed it up, right? No, perfect. Very good. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, very good. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I nailed it. I wasn't yeah. expecting to. No, most people are going silent on the X, and that's a big mistake because that's the coolest letter in the, in the name. No, oh, very nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I'm so happy to meet you. And, you know, it's taken a bit of time. You've been very patient. So I want to thank you very much for that. No, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And I'm still figuring out if you really wanted to have me on the call. You had so many, you had just a hundred episodes, I think. And yeah, I'm over a so hundred now. Yeah, so many exciting guests there. And I'm very excited to and very flattered to be part of your, 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 your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's start with the obvious. We're, this is going to take us a little bit through your journey, but I want to start with the obvious. You're a white male in corporate America. What was the catalyst for discovering your new passion? Well, technically, I am working for an American company, but of course, I'm based in, in Europe. So, so my, my role is a European role. I'm a German. I live in Germany, but I'm still a white male working for corporate America. It was a great question. I, I would say that uh, in a multinational traveling a lot, and then Corona came and all of a sudden it came to a standstill. And, you know, like many of us had more time to reflect on who we are and what we do. And I want to probably, I was looking for more purpose. And so I started connect, I would say in the beginning, almost randomly with people that I found interesting. So, and so I started conversations and I met and connected with a lot of great people and I thought like you know and then that started you know all kinds of research and engagement and and then of course during that time or before that time you had things like George Floyd and a couple of other things that and, and I think that started building an interest and an engagement and I think there wasn't a particular day or moment or that triggered it you know it was probably the fact that I was sitting at home instead of traveling and I had more time to reflect mm. on things. So I really appreciate a couple of the points that you made there. One in particular is, you know, during the pandemic, we all had to revisit the value of life and the purpose of life. And of course, I started the podcast and you started your journey. When you think about it, what did it bring up for you just emotionally and in terms of mental health for the reflection? Like, I get the fact that the pandemic had us on lockdown and there was nothing we can do. But internally, what happened? What was shaken for you? Very difficult to say because it was a very intense period, right? So, so yeah. because the normal day-to-day -day life before 2020 was, you know, you you were distracted all of the time, and wow, all of a sudden, a right? And you, all of a sudden, you you 
there wasn't a distraction. The gym closed. I started running because, you know, the only thing to do is, was, I never did outdoor running. I did do that. And a lot was going on around the world, and but but not so much was going on in my world because all of a sudden I was there. And so I don't know. I, I don't think that a mental health wise that there was anything particular. So I, I didn't get depressed or, or, okay. or sad, but, but, but it was something that I, I needed something probably to really keep my mind entertained and engaged because normally I would, would be somewhere and I would meet people and would do things. And all of a sudden it, it was a complete makeover. And so partly I went into physical exercise. So as in mostly running and, 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 and hiking, walking, but, but the other part was, engaging with people because uh, the, the thing that really stressed me out is that I like to 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 network and and meet people and all of a sudden that was really really toned down there was social distancing and you were encouraged basically to not to travel and not to go out not to mingle and and the virtual reality actually helped me a lot with that but then I mm-hmm. started meeting people and engaging with people that that you know I wouldn't have met otherwise and I really started building a completely new a part of my life, a new part. And then, then that's really interesting. And that journey is still going on because I, I, I couldn't continue doing that now, like meeting people no. online. Yeah. No, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You finished that thought? No, no, no. It's really something that I developed a passion for because I, I, what, I think what I really like is the opportunity to participate in somebody else's lived experience. Mm, learning, mm, learning yeah, through that, le- learning through, through, you know, the, the looking through the lens of other people, because something that you see in a virtual world said co- go both directions. You could be more hateful. You could be very quickly in passing judgment, getting very aggressive and aggravated. But I like to do the other way around to, to really look and understand what is, what is somebody else's reality. And I find that very, yeah. very fascinating. You know, you said, you said something there. Uh, it sounded like you're used to the external process of networking for a minute there, you had an internal process of networking. Like you had to get to know you in a different, in a whole different way. That's pretty interesting. That idea that because you spend so much time traveling and meeting and connecting with people in your work world, all of a sudden it all came to a stop and you really had to get to know who you were, were like this new way of being. So that's interesting. Thank you for breaking that down. That was helpful. Yeah, so that's it. Could be it could be scary, but it wasn't too scary. It's but it's it's actually quite important. I think that you sometimes have this kind of break, particularly if you like who you are at the end of the process. Then it's you know it's all been worth it. You said you know meeting new people and how it has changed your life. Prior to that, what was your exposure to different cultures uh, where you grew up? What was that like for you growing up? Well. If I go very, very back where I grew up, so I come from a small spa town in in Western Germany, which okay. was extremely, which was extremely, well, German, white German. But I have to say, one of the my my first friends, kindergarten time girlfriends, she was actually a Kenyan girl, and I remember her name Michu, and she was about we were about four or five, so. So that was my first exposure. Since he was a daughter of a Kenyan doctor, and they were living in the same house, and and I would say my, you know, you had to, I think a couple of times ago you had the jolly good ginger, or mm-hmm. if you remember the, the 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 North Carolina, the guy from North Carolina grew up in a in a, in a racist family and and so on. I, I cannot. Sorry, lights went That's out for okay. a second. So. I, I cannot share that because I don't have that story because I, I 
Uh, my so so I didn't grow up in a in a racist family or something, but it wasn't a very particular one. But I know that uh, from the, my early childhood on, uh, my my family always had contact with, let's say, families from let's say Turkish background or Italian background, and so and so so there was that kind of exposure. But at the same time, uh, my especially my father didn't like to travel. So I didn't travel. So my exposure to different cultures was really resulting to movies. And it wasn't then until I, I myself started to, 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 to earn my own money and start working that I, that I, I personally got more interested. And I think I like to think that, that in when, whenever it comes to different cultures, there's a spectrum of, you know, rejection to curiosity. Right. So, and, and, and I think the fact that I come from a very, very, very tolerant and open family, but then at the same time, never having had an exposure to, to that much to different cultures or traveling, it created that curiosity from an early age. Okay. So, so that when I meet people that are different, it, it would not trigger fear first. It was more like, oh, I would like to learn more about you. And later on in my professional life, I had a lot of people that, that, that were, Kind of like that. That that kind of started that. So so uh, I know, yeah. When I think about it, it's it's like it's 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 that kind of journey. But it was really it started very slowly with hardly any exposure. Yeah, without any. But you gravitated towards difference. So you were on your path early on. You know, you said you said something that I was going to ask you about, which is being who you were and growing up where you did. What was your biggest fear in your body? What 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 did you fear? Or did you have any fears that you're aware of? Yeah, actually, I, I, I was quite a you know a scared little person, but I yeah. think I was I was afraid of a lot of things, but really the unknown, but not the unknown as in different cultures, but the uh, basically getting out into the world and then what would be out there. But then the curiosity kind of uh, you know got stronger. But but it's, it's 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 I think that's a lot of the times that fear comes from the unknown that. You have a picture in your hat, and so so I'm going somewhere. I might get robbed. I remember one of my first jobs. I got transferred to Philadelphia, and I lived in Philadelphia. And my my as I said, my father didn't like to travel. But then finally, my parents came over to visit me, and I think my father really he he had to really overcome his own fears, and he had these images of you know going to New York and getting probably robbed the moment he steps out of the underground and so on. And of course, when we went there, it wasn't anything like that. And he fell in love and he, they came back. And so we did it again. So it's, it's that kind of part where that kind of fear is the unknown. It's like putting pictures in your head based on mm-hmm. maybe information or misinformation. And yeah. And then I, yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, going on a plane and you have in your head the, 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 the picture of the image of a plane crash or something, right? It's like, mm. but you still do it because you're, 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 you know, you want to go somewhere. Yeah, I like that perspective of emphasizing that the unknown can be scary and sometimes the reality, particularly when you have access and privilege, not as it it, it may be just fear itself, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not you're not fearing being chased down by a cop. You're fearing what yeah. you don't know. And your father was a perfect example of that and how exposure is so important. That's yeah. really relevant. Can you explain? Okay, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit just because I want to break down what it is that you do. Can you explain what a multinational executive who manages cross-cultural teams for a global U.S. headquarters consulting firm is and why networking oh, is so important? That sounds, that sounds a mouthful, right? Yeah, so I work for a multinational well, insurance brokerage and consulting firm. And so 
Really, it's a very simple that we we are insurance broker and and the clients that uh, we look after, that especially my team looks after, are multinational clients. So they operate in different countries. So let's oh, say they uh, you, you take any kind of multinational company and they want to control their their, their global insurance costs and coverage. Uh, they have operations in different countries, and so the team that I'm looking after across Europe is actually looking after the operations in Portugal, in Italy, in Turkey, and so on. And so, of course, the local teams are local teams, but then uh, they are. I, I'm working with them across the different countries, and I have a central team that is, is actually, uh, you know, kind of supporting and managing that. But there, I'm really trying to uh, to bring in talent from across. The world. I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my colleagues, she's Thai. Uh, she worked for our operation in Thailand for 13 years, married a German guy, and now she's, she's working with me. I had a, for, for 18 months, a colleague from, from China. Uh, she, uh, she came over really for, for, for learning how we work in Europe. And, and, and now she's going back and working with Europe. So, so I know I don't want to get too technical, but it's really working basically a, a, a cross-cultural network, or uh, delivering service and so on, but but that's actually what that the, the the part where I really started embracing diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. is, where I thought like you know, you you have that we are a stock-listed company, so so as part of ESG we have to look into you know how we do it environmental and social and governance, and especially on the S, yes we we have a lot of great things going on, but part of that is because we have to. But but I thought with the role that I'm having, you know, embracing diversity and inclusion is actually a business imperative. So because oh. if, yeah, so so because we are working across borders, cross cultures. We so we, let's say we have one global program that we need to execute across 85 countries around the world, and we have to work with people in Peru and in the Philippines and in, in Australia. So so working in those teams, you need to be culturally sensitive uh, you you have to have that awareness so so i try to make that a business case rather than a tick the box exercise and we have to do it no this is something that we we need to do that is actually even if even if we didn't care about it i do care about it even if we didn't care about it is something that really makes us better and stronger so so that's where i'm coming from thank you for breaking that down it made much more sense when you explained it and so networking actually is everything that you do and, and what what do you think the key i want to go back to what you said but i also want to just Find out what is the key element of networking? Because believe it or not, I don't network well. No. So what? No, I, I, I don't. Well, tell me, tell me what the key element to networking is for you. I would say you know, I don't want to be too philosophical, but it's the love of people and and the curiosity in other people and the idea of sharing your own life experience with other people. So as I'm getting older, some, some of my posts, if you, if you go into LinkedIn, some of my posts is when I, I, I post a picture that I took, I don't know, with somebody 25 years ago, and then our path cross again, and we take that same picture again. And so I put that into comparison. So there's an old picture with me, very skinny, very nerdy with a lot of hair. And then me now still very nerdy, but no hair. And so it's this whole part that we say, you know, oh, Remember, we, we did that. Or right now, so I'm a big fan of classical rock music. So I'm, I have a couple of friends. Some go back to my school days and we go to concerts together. Some of the bands are still from the old days. And it's kind of like, you know, bringing your own life, experiencing your own life 
together with 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 other people. That that's something like so. It's it's, it's very difficult okay. to explain, but it's, it's it's really this whole thing about being curious in other people, but also sharing your life and experiencing your life with other people. I think that's that what it comes down. That's to. great. No, that's great. That's great. Okay, so since the pandemic, what do you think has changed the relationship between employers and employees? What's been the your close observation of what has changed? That's a that's a tough one. I mean, there, there are a couple of things going on. So we have that that whole world word of war for talents. So I think there is more. I think it became more of a uh, what is it like kind of like a, a seller's market in, in in a way that if you oh. want to call these the seller of their their talent, uh, but also people probably I'm not the only one who started reflecting on purpose of life right because it, the world came to a standstill and uh, so the corporate world keeps going very fast you know bigger profits more growth uh, what have you but then I think some people said like wait a second there has to be more to life than that. And so we had, uh, well, it was, I think it was called the great resignation, something like that. It was some people said like, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of that, that treadmill. And, and so I would say that that was a big, that's a big change. So I think that to become more sustainable as an employer, an employer needs to become more sincere in terms of, you know, this is really what we stand for. So. Purpose becomes more and more relevant. People want to have more of a work-life balance. And I think especially, so in Europe, we have a, already a couple of things that are very different from the American reality. So where you, yes, you, you have do. to work yes, you very, do. very hard, right? So, yeah. And, but, but maybe you will experience some of that at some, of course, if, if you have to work three jobs in order to, you know, make ends meet, it's very, it's, it's a very luxurious conversation to have. It's a very privileged conversation. Mm -hmm. But, but it seems that, uh, you know, there, there is, especially now in my, in my industry, there's a, there's a high demand for talent. And so people can almost say like, you know what? Maybe I don't like that job, but I can get paid better. So I go to that company for, you mm -hmm. know, 40% more. So that's right now a very luxurious, uh, I would say, uh, situation. Again, if I uh, probably, as I said, if you have a certain job that you, uh, where, where, you know, there, there's still more, supply of workforce than demand you, you probably have um, you know still a different reality but that's that's what i'm seeing in yeah in the insurance industry i think that's that's relevant you know this idea of supply and demand but also what you said you know i remember when i was growing up the thing that was most important was how many years you had on the job now people bring you resumes with you know five jobs in five years and won't even flinch so it is a matter of, particularly if you're in a, if you're in a particular field, especially, you'll see that that's the reality. People aren't mm -hmm. looking for longevity. They're looking for the best plan. And also, like you said, sincerity or people putting action behind what it is they profess to be. So mm -hmm. I think that that's insightful. What has changed in terms of recruitment? Like what, what drives the recruitment policy or practice? I think that, uh, well, again, I'm, I'm talking about the insurance industry from a very European lens. I think that over time, uh, so, so, so right now, people want to see more value actually of the, you know, of the lead, like the, the leaders talking about more, more content, more you know, showing what their values are, what they stand for. So I think that the brand itself is not as, as important as it used to be, the brand of a company. I believe that the leaders actually, so, so you had to have a big growing mistrust in, 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 in politicians 
around the world. So I think that now corporations have become a little bit more of the trusted, in a way, the trusted mm -hmm. institutions. I think if you see more and more the leaders actually standing up for certain things, for values, and, and give an idea that if I work for you, what does that mean other than, you know, your big firm, you, you're, you're growing fast and will make a lot of profit, but also what do you stand for, you as a leader? I think that has become a quite, quite important. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, it's not just for insurance. I mean, you're speaking mm. through an insurance lens, but you are speaking globally in terms of a lot of different businesses and organizations. People want to know that leaders, you know, not just talk the talk, but they walk the walk, mm. you know, because of the, the challenges of, of hanging on to employees. Absolutely. So you, you've talked about how important, you know, the whole diversity inclusion. I'm losing track of the letters. I'm not going to lie to you, but. All yeah. of the DEIJ. You missed a B. You missed a B there. <laughs> I, I put the B at the, B, I put the, B yeah. at the end on that one. Ooh. You know, this whole, the whole diversity and inclusion and elevation is starting to decline. What do you know about that? What do you think about that? Again, this is, I, I'm, I'm following US politics a little bit, but I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm, where I'm coming from is, is, is not really a political side. It's more about, um, I want to make sure that we are tapping into the best talent. We, we try to look for a system, building a system where everyone has kind of like equal opportunity. And that's very ambitious. That's ambitious enough. I think where it comes down is when you are politicizing it and give it a bad context. Because all I'm saying is like, you know, just so we, we, we want to make sure that uh, if you look at the top leadership, especially in short, is still, you know, guilty as charged is, is predominantly white, straight, male, you know, what have you. And so, so the further up you go, and I think the, the problem started probably 10, 15, 20 years ago when you didn't start building up that talent, that diverse talent pool. And I think when it comes, when, when I hear it comes, it, it, it turns down, I think it, I'm not sure, it's probably a political, it's, it's probably a political pushback because what it is ultimately is probably a fear of privilege saying like, oh, People want to take away my role or, you know, that means that basically I want to have that job, but I'm not getting that job because a, a black woman is getting that job because now uh, we need to fill that quota. And, and to me, that is complete nonsense because, I mean, first of all, as, as a white male, I should have the confidence to say, like, you know, if I'm the best qualified, I'll still get to that job. But it's more about giving the people that haven't been given the chance to get there the equal opportunity to compete for it. And then I think that it's just a narrative. And then I think your, 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 your show is called Change the Narrative. I think we need to change the narrative here is that it's, it's really more about looking at the entire talent out there and given equal opportunity and then really trying to get the best to the top. And the truth is, you know, before white males should get too, too excited and too nervous about it, it's still, you know, if we look at our top management, it's still very much dominated by white men. And so, so, you know, and I don't think that is be, that is simply because actually there was a very fair and square competition for all of these positions throughout the years. And that's why, you know, in, in this fair competition, you know what? It's all white men who succeeded. No, it's yes. because there is a system behind it. And, and, and I think that's, and, and I find the world more interesting where there is a fair competition. I think about the Olympics. I think about, you know, you, 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 you just have, you know, the Olympic games, a competition of the best, best athletes and you kind of disqualify, 
you know, a certain amount of people, a certain group of people from from uh, from competing. It, it it wouldn't be fun anymore. So I think that's the right. same thing. No, I I agree with you completely. I would I would add one tweak to that, which is the reality is is that it can never be equal because of the access gap. Because hmm. of the fact that I mean, you look in America. I'm not sure how it is in in other countries, but well, a little bit in other countries. I know. I know a little about a little bit about other countries, but what I'm speaking specifically about is the lack of equity, right? You can you can it starts so young. This idea of like in elementary school when kids in impoverished communities don't have access to the tools to help them compete effectively, how is it ever going to be an equal opportunity? It almost has to be that you have to change the expectation for people who had less resources. That doesn't mean they're less capable. It means they had less resources. That's the, that's the rub that people just can't wrap themselves around. <laughs> when we talk equity, it's not giving me higher steps to give me a faster pace. It's trying to give me opportunities I never had access to. And that is, seems to be such a difficult concept for people to wrap themselves around. So I appreciate how you broke that down. I also just think it's important to include that piece as well. Does that make sense? Sure, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a good point. I mean, that goes way beyond, let's say, something that I w could do within my work because, you know, thinking about access to education, access to safety and security, to healthcare. I mean, there are a couple of things that where there isn't even a fair start to begin with. And uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think the other thing, though, is that you are doing a lot about it. And I just think that the lens needs to be shifted a little bit to say, you know, is this person the best candidate or are they the best candidate with the resources they had? And with investment in them, they can be the best candidate of all. So mm -hmm. I think just that little shift provides, you know, an adjustment to what you're already doing. And I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's important. Thank you. And there's, yeah. there's something, so just to, on that point, if, mm -hmm. if you're looking at some of the town, so if you look into Europe right now, and, and some of the things are, you know, you have the Gen Z conversations about, you know, a younger generation that's actually pretty well off. Again, we're talking about European uh, reality right now. And uh, so I'm sometimes looking into, I'm engaging with, 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 with talents from, and LinkedIn gave me the opportunity to connect with people from Africa, Latin America, Eastern Europe, Asia. And you, you have people that are very, very, actually very hungry. They would, they want to, to, to do so much more. So, so actually you, you might have a completely different, you know, motivation out there to, to really go okay. to the reach for the stars. So, so even if you want to have a more competitive, that's another reason to, to look into uh, other parts of the world because they, they, they are not, you know, kind of like so, so kind of almost, let's say uh, content with everything that they, they really mm -hmm. still want to prove to the world what they can do. And, and I think that would, would really give it a fresh, you know, new, new, new approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. And speaking of your international lens, what's your perspective on why the world has such a prevalence of anti-Black racism specifically? I mean, it's, it's pretty prevalent in the world. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, that's, that's, very, uh, that's very difficult uh, to say because I, mean, I would say when I talk about racism, it it is something that, that means something slightly different in every part of the world because I'm, I'm German. So I grew up in the aftermath of second world war where racism was uh, focused at, uh, at Jewish people, right. uh, the Sinti and Roma community. 
I think that it, it almost feels like uh, in general that the color of the skin, the darker it gets, it has a negative connotation. Uh, and it's very, it's, it's, it's very, I'm not sure it's funny or sad, but when I grew up, so I grew up in just a very white environment and just compared myself to other white kids. And so back then, uh, getting a 10 was actually uh, almost like a luxurious good. So people would, after summer break, would come back and say, Oh, you, you got a nice, nice 10. And I wouldn't have a 10. I'm, I'm having almost like an Irish 10. So, so it's yes. like, you know. And, and, and so I didn't realize, and so, so I was always kind of embarrassed of being that super white, but until I realized that, no, actually, if you get around the world, uh, it could be in Asia, it could be across Europe or something, the darker you get, the, 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 the it's, it's, it's more and more negative. And, uh, yeah. and I don't know the, the source of it. I saw one YouTube video just the other day where actually it says that the idea of racism and anti black, anti dark narrative goes back actually to to to, to uh, really to a, a portuguese person mm -hmm. i'm not sure that uh, you heard about it but 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 who in the context of you know exploring the idea of slavery created the concept of race and so because that that was when it started uh, you know, when when those traders tried to look into to free labor looking into africa so they started describing the the actually the African race as something uh, of a lesser lesser value. So that would justify. Right. And then I'm not sure that, the, again, I would have to back it up with the facts because it was one of the, the, the TED Talks that I watched the other day. But but it is probably something that was created in right. that context. And then it, it built on that. But I'm not a, you know, I'm not a scientist to really say like, you know, why, what is, what is the reason behind it? Because I think it's, it's, it's man-made nonsense. I don't think that yeah. you I grow agree. up or you're being born or being a racist. Yeah. So, so I think that it's, it's, it's man-made. Children do not really judge on it. So you lose me? No, no, you're coming, you're going in now. Keep going. Okay. So, so I think that uh, it's, 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 it's when you, when you just have children, they do not look at the color of the skin or they do not do it in a judging, maybe in a comparing right. style. It's, you know, that comes back to, uh, you know, again, I really enjoyed your interview with Jolly Good Ginger, where he talks about the thing that basically at home, there's a permanent, basically narrative around, you know, negative about black people and using the N word and so on in a very casual way, which created this, this, this sentiment. But at the same time, like coming back to my, my Kenyan girlfriend, I know many, many years ago, it's, we played together and, and I never, you know, really, thought of it as you know something yeah of course you use you, you see that okay you you look darker than me but but it, there's nothing if if your parents don't say like oh no that they, they don't play with them it it's it's just something that you take for granted and so i yeah. think that really the uh it is it is man-made and and it's something that we need to we need to break that 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 narrative and i don't know why well, i think it's by con you know constantly uh, as you can i personally i find the most interesting part is engaging with people that are different. That's my curiosity coming back to that spectrum. I, I don't know. I, I find it in general, I find it uh, extremely painful and especially in a world where we are facing, uh, you know, maybe global extinction because of for many reasons, lack of resources and wars and, you know, global warming, what have you. We have more important things to do than to look at the color of other people's skin and bring, put each other down. That's that's my view, but I think it's so ingrained in some cultures that it's difficult to 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 change it. It takes a while. So, 
what do you think about America? What what are people in Germany and your neck of the woods saying about America and Americans these days? Well, I have to say that I lived in America. I worked for an American company. I have many Americans, American mm -hmm. friends. So I may not be a representative. Uh, I would <laughs> say some would say, "Oh, guys, you're crazy," uh, because what what you know the perception again. I, I don't like to talk politics, but the perception of your previous president is obviously not a positive one outside of your country. Uh, the the whole thing of of shootings and mass shootings basically on a weekly basis. So I was in Atlanta the other day, and the other day that all the events were uh, cancelled because there was a some shooter on the loose and so on. If that part, uh, it's it's very difficult. But at the same time, there is a great admiration. America has always been seen as a as a, a very strong, you know, to 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 also bring good things to to the world and uh, being the driving force, being innovative. So so it's it's yeah, it's it, it depends on who you are. So I, I personally, I love America yeah. and I find it a fascinating country. It's not that I agree with everything, but 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 at the same time, I think it is it is a force of good in the in the long run. Uh, it has a lot of uh, things to 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 cope with. Yeah, you definitely have um, an expansive perception so that I think that's what informs you. Uh, I am curious, particularly when other countries have travel warnings about coming mm -hmm. to America. I mean, that's that's something new. So that's that says a lot to me. So, you know, clearly we have a lot of uh, work to do to not think so highly of ourselves as a country. And by ourselves, I don't mean me, mm -hmm. just to be clear. Mm -hmm. I want to cover a couple more things before I let you sure. go. And again, I appreciate you staying up late to to talk with me about these topics and sharing your journey. I saw when early on you sent me a book uh, and it's written in German and you said it's unfortunate that it's written in German because it was such a powerful yeah. book for you. And it's by David Mayonga. Yes. yes right. Yeah. And, and you said it has global relevance. Can you tell mm -hmm. me how, how it has global re relevance? Yeah. So uh, David Mayonga is a, is, a, is, a, is a child of African immigrants, a German, and he grew up in the uh, Bavarian countryside. So Bavarian countryside, I would, we always compare Bavaria to Texas. Uh, so it's a, it's a very particular Got case. It. So when he was a boy, I mean, the, uh, the title of the book translates to a N-word, uh, must not sit next to me. And that goes back to an experience that he had when he was on his first day in kindergarten. Uh, the whole class was sitting on chairs in a circle. And, and he wanted to sit down on the only empty chair. And the white boy next to him covered the chair and said that to him. So that was something that he could not comprehend at the time and and so and again it comes back to this conversation about how you you put those thoughts into your children's heads so yeah he talks about uh, his, his his childhood in a in, in a in a rural town uh, in bavaria germany and so on i think the the, the, the global relevance on that is that you know it, it's really about how you harm your children if you i mean you put that into their heads because the story that he experienced there is not a German story. It is his particular story is a German story, but that's a story that a child could experience in France and in Thailand and, and, and anywhere in the world. Uh, yeah, that's that's why. Yeah, unfortunately, it is uh, only available in German. So he's also he's a he's a uh, musician and also a, a moderator for the Bavarian uh, public radio station. And uh, he also said that, for instance, he. You know, when when he is in his in, in in the studio and so on, he's in the lobby or somewhere, and it's always him that the security always comes to him and says, like, you know, what are you doing here and so on and and so 
that's that's the part again coming back to the point of you know oh i look at you and i look at the color of the skin and i treat you differently and so that's why uh and i saw him on different tv shows and interviews and i thought that it's just kind of sad but at the same time i'm very glad that he wrote that book and uh and i shared it yeah i wish they would get it translated i hope they do that and i appreciate you sharing that with me early on you can learn um, german if you want to oh wow <laughs> not so much <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin, uh, I'm not going to lie. It's difficult for people in the global majority like myself to believe a white male is passionate about social justice. I, I feel you. And that's important to me. I may, I may not be a great networker, but I do oh. feel people. And when I feel people, um, I like to be connected to them. So thank you so much for staying connected. I appreciate it a lot. What would you say to people who have difficulty trusting that this is the journey you're on and the path you're going to stay on? Oh, that's very difficult because trust. I mean, how do you how do you trust the person? It's like basically to, through knowing people and and seeing that they are consistent in what they do. And I mean, I would say in one thing that I hope that that whatever I say, it's not different from what I'm saying tomorrow or what I'm saying. Of course, sometimes it changes, but but I think <laughs> this journey I've been on it's it's been a journey for a long, long time. And uh, well, people that don't trust a person to try try to understand or try to get to know them better until you you can back up the lack of trust it, there's there's nothing there's no no easy answer to that because it's you know because whether you trust me or not is is really up up to you and right. and, and and you know all i can do is basically being being authentic and, uh, and you know, doing what i'm doing and yeah so, so I am, I, I'm very passionate about all of what we discussed and, and I'm, I'm glad it chose and, uh, and I hope that other people try and, 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 and change, you know, their, 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 their perspective on life that they try to open up to other people. There's really one, one funny anecdote there. So it's, I'm watching sometimes on my free time, I'm watching YouTube videos and there's, one inspiring story and uh, that I watched yeah, on over the weekend. And you know, you've heard of the Westboro Baptist Church, that 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 yeah. crazy picket uh, mm -hmm. fencing cult from Kansas. And so one of that is all one family. And one of the daughters was uh, she, she she became the, the 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 marketing person going on Twitter and so on. And, and then there were people starting to contacting her on Twitter, and they they didn't just call her names or something they started to 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 show uh, you know kind like how the the, the teaching of the westboro baptist church was you know contradicting itself and also the teaching of the bible and what have you and so she started to questioning her own family and and she engaged more and more with one particular guy and ultimately she left that cult and married the guy who, wow. who who actually started and now she is she's going out there and she's actually educating and because that is clearly a case of brainwashing right i mean the uh, you know that that's a that's a family cult that that preaches hate and that puts hate into the, the and then they, they they just go out there and 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 uh yeah talk about hate and insult people and and there was somebody who really invested time into that woman into the daughter of the family to really convince her she came up she basically left her own family behind to now start educating about how this whole thing started and it's not about hating each other or calling each other it is really investing into people because i think that some of the most hateful people think about uh, the jolly good ginger 
you know uh, he's a he's a he looks like a perfectly decent guy very passionate about <laughs> what he does but think about how he grew up and what was put into his head and it yeah. took actually his you know, i think it was his mother who mm-hmm. who then married a, a a black husband and then uh, they had children so it's actually meeting go into that community and see that, oh, wait a second, that is not what, what has been put into my head. So it's that exposure that's important. And come yeah. back to what you said in the beginning of the, this part of, of the conversation is, you know, it's very difficult to, 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 to believe a white person being engaged in this, you know, or being passionate about social justice. I would say that, you know, I don't want to live in a world that is just, given privilege to one group, even if I'm part of that group. Uh, no. Because ultimately then, if other parts of the group do not have access to education, to wealth, to happiness, they will turn violent. And it becomes a safety issue. It becomes, you know, it, it doesn't become a nice world to live in. And so so, so there is, a, that, that's not the driving force behind what I'm doing. But, but I think that, you know, I'm just having a vision of a world where we all live together very, very, very peacefully and, and, uh, and, there's one talking about positive influence is my ex-boss and he passed away four years ago and he in the 60s uh, he was a german guy white german guy he moved to canada the young guy in 67 and he moved to nova scotia and he started dating uh, his, his future wife who came from barbados and so in 1967 in nova scotia he was he's, he was in he basically in the caribbean kind of community his management learned about it and basically said, like, you have to stop that. And he actually then, uh, he and Nina, his, his future wife said, okay, uh, they moved to Toronto first and then to Germany. So they said like, no, no, we will, we'll, our, our love is stronger. Kind of like the, the, the whole story of loving, right? The, it's uh, so, 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 uh, and, and, and he was one of the many, many positive influences that where I just saw like, you know, how, how powerful true love is and then, and then, and, and, and how, being together creates a better world than than, than just you know uh, protecting your own privilege. That that's really kind of like what what drives me. And uh, yeah, you know, we 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 go and we grow in relationship with each other. That, yeah. that's the key. And I think the way that you show people that you are who you are is with consistency. And you have consistently, you know, shown me who you are, and I see what you are about and I appreciate it. And you were just so delightful and to stay up this late and have a conversation with me that's not always easy. I just want to acknowledge your willingness to do that. And my questions are not easy and you are authentic. So I appreciate you bringing your authentic self to have this conversation with me. Please let everyone know where they can find you. Social media handles, you have one and, and your LinkedIn. Existing in two virtual worlds. One is LinkedIn, which is just uh, Martin Drucks. It's one word, Martin Drucks, D-R-U-X. The other one is also with my name is on, 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 on uh, Facebook, but Facebook is really more to embrace my passion for rock music. So, so that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's, because that's something that I don't put on LinkedIn. And, but yeah, it's, it's maybe it's, 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 uh, it's my LinkedIn account where I'm really most visible and active on. Excellent. Thank you so much again. Get some sleep. I'll reach out. Thanks for coming on, Martin. Thank you so much for having me. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.